who's supposed to reach the lost? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with today's Simple Truth. We have a great commission to reach the lost. None of us can escape the responsibility of evangelism. If all you ever get to is Jerusalem, great. God will hold you responsible for Jerusalem. If you can get out to Judea, go for it. If you can get to Samaria, good. And if God blesses you and go to the uttermost parts of the world, then great. The Great Commission. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. I'm sure if you asked a dozen different people for their definition of good news, you'd get a dozen different answers. One might say peace in the Middle East. Some say getting a pay raise or meeting the right man or woman. Even one TV commercial defines good news as paying less for car insurance. But Pastor Xavier says there's one bit of good news that stands above the rest. Let's join him in the book of Matthew chapter 28 for today's important message titled, The Great Commission. Verse 16 to 20 in Matthew is our text. We want to look at three things regarding the Great Commission. First, the men Jesus chose. Secondly, the authority Jesus delegated. And thirdly and last, the task Jesus commanded. Look with me to verses 16 and 17, to the men Jesus chose. It says there, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed for them. The eleven disciples had been chosen by Jesus after an entire night of prayer. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Stop and consider some of these twelve. Simon Peter was impetuous. He was impulsive. He was proud. He attempted to stop Jesus from going to the cross. He chose James and John, the ones who were looking always out for themselves. Can we have the right hand, the left hand? I would have never chosen them, would you? Matthew, a tax collector, one who had betrayed his own people, becoming rich and wealthy, meeting the quota for the region that was given to them for tax, and then after that, all that he could get would be his own. He would be hated by the Jews. Jesus chose him. Then there was Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, the one who pilfered the treasury, the one who Jesus continually pursued and tried to turn to the very last minute. He did not. Then we have Thomas, who doubted, one who walked with Jesus, saw the miracles, one who perhaps partook of miracles himself, and one who did not believe the very ten who walked with him and says, we saw the Lord. He says, unless I feel his hands and feel his side, I will not believe. Quite a group, isn't it? You and I would have never chosen these men because of two reasons. One, they would not meet our requirements and standards, and two, we would never affect them in the way that God would affect their lives through Jesus Christ. And so likewise, I feel in good company because I meet those requirements in perfection. But Jesus chose these men. As he chose you, he chose me. Notice next the authority that Jesus delegated in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This authority was delegated to the disciples, not just anyone. Those who had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those who had been born again, 
Those who had responded to the gospel, those who had had their lives transformed, those who had picked up their cross, denied themselves and followed Jesus. The authority was given to those 11 whom he had chosen. But think of this. The authority was even delegated to Judas Iscariot. He performed miracles, I'm sure. He cast out demons. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew, we studied it earlier in the chapters. He says, you know, in that day they said, Lord, we cast out demons. We did this. We did that in your name. He says, I never knew you. Do you think that because a person does miracles in Jesus' name that they belong to Jesus Christ? You better think again and study the words of Jesus. Miracles are no evidence that you belong to God. A life transformation and evidence of that life transformation is evidence that you belong to God not miracles, that you are a new creature, that you obey God's word, that you've picked up your cross, that you follow him. That is evidence that you belong to him, not that you do miracles, signs, or wonders. Notice also the authority had been given to Jesus. The Father had given it to him. Why? Didn't he have it? Yes, but he submitted himself to the Father. He emptied himself, Philippians 2 says. He took on the form of a servant. He had all the authority now prior to the incarnation. And the Father had glorified him as he had asked him to glorify him with the glory which he had before the world began in John 17, 5. He divested himself not of his deity but of his glory before he came. He was always God. If he wasn't God, you and I are in deep, deep trouble because then all we had was a man dying. But we didn't have just a man dying. We had the God-man dying. The God that grabbed the hold of the hand of God and the man who grabbed the hold of the hand of man and then he died and his blood bridged the two together. 100% man, 100% God. Death could not hold him. He tasted death for every man, according to Psalm 16, 8, 11, and then Hebrews 2, 9. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin. It holds no sting no longer. Why? Because when we accept Jesus Christ, we pass from death unto life. Oh, you may die physically, but you'll never die. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. There's a physical death. There's an eternal death. Eternally separated from God. Don't think of death stopping physical life. Think of death, eternal separation from God. That's death. Forever and ever and ever. That you have to go through that door of physical death is nothing. The consequences will be greater. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you will be eternally separated from God. But you don't have to because Jesus died for you. He died for your sins that you might call upon his name and that you might pass from death unto life even now while you're living. Once you die, your eternity is sealed. Whatever you have lived for is turned into an object of permanency. There is no second opportunity. Nobody can pray you out of wherever you go, which is only hell, not purgatory, not limbo, or not blue, or anywhere else. You're just there. And that's not a very nice thing to say, and that's not a loving thing to say, but it's a truthful thing to tell you. Apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope, nor do I. 
And so this authority delegated to him, nothing could hold him, not the demons, not death, nothing. But notice that the authority includes heaven and earth. Though God put all in subjection under his feet, we don't see all things as of yet, do we? Hebrews 2.8 tells us that. Corinthians tells us that. If Jesus has all his authority, why do we see so much rebellion? Why all the sickness? Why? Because we live in a fallen world. What you see around today is not what God intended. It's the result of man's continual rebellion against God. It's sin. Why do you and I get sick? Because of sin. Sin has entered the world. Why are kids born blind, retarded? Because of sin. You want to see what God intended? Look before the fall. Look into the millennial kingdom. Don't blame God. Blame man. Blame Satan. Yes, we don't see everything as of yet under his feet, but one day everything will be put under his feet. But right now, all who put themselves under his feet do it willingly to serve him. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. In heaven means Satan, because you know Satan can go before the throne of God every day. He's accused of the brethren. Demons aren't said to go up there, but the Bible does tell us that Satan has access to the throne. Read the book of Job. So everything in heaven will bow to him. Satan will bow. On earth, rebellious men and those under the earth, demons and fallen angels. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, all three in heaven and earth and under the earth, all will bow. And so here we have the delegated authority. The Father gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the disciples. Now, did he give this authority so they would use it at their own wishes, at their own desire, whenever they want? Never. Any authority, any power, and the word authority here, exousia, is the authority. Not, it's not talking about power to do it, but the authority to exercise power. Anything that God delegates to you and I, he will allow us to exercise it according to his sovereign will when he wants to. You look at the gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, 10. You will see that the gifts of the Spirit are operated severally as God wills, not when I want to. The only gift of the Spirit of God that you can operate anytime you and I want is speaking in tongues or your prayer language. Same thing. You can turn it on, you can turn it off. But every other gift... You cannot exercise whenever you want. You cannot exercise a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. You cannot exercise the gift of uh, healing, miracles. God does that severally as He wills. He does it. If men had this gift and they could do them anytime they wanted, then why don't they go to the children's hospital and raise kids up? You see, there's an inconsistency. Am I speaking against the gifts? No way. I believe in them. But God moves severally as he wills. I'm just an instrument. Let me tell you, who do you thank for the quenching of your thirst? The water you drink or the glass that holds the water? The water. Not the glass. As a matter of fact, you pay very little attention to the glass. But the only thing you do look for is that it's a clean glass, don't you? What does that say about us? If God wants to use us. And so this authority is delegated to us as children of God to be his representatives. The third thing is the task 
Jesus commanded. Verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice first that Jesus commanded to go and to make disciples of all nations. Look at the word go. The word go is a participle along with baptizing and teaching. All imply action and could be translated as you go in your going. In other words, there was never any question about going in the mind of Jesus. The church was going. We have a great commission to reach the lost. It begins in Jerusalem. None of us can escape the responsibility of evangelism because we all live in Jerusalem, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you walk. Then there's Judea. Then there's Samaria. Then there's the uttermost parts of the world. But all of us have an opportunity to be evangelists or do the work of an evangelist to reach the lost in the Great Commission. Every one of us. Jesus says you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1.8. There you have the table of contents for the book of Acts. Study it. They went to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and they hit the world. There's your table of contents for the book of Acts. Acts 1.8. And there's a table of contents for our own life. If all you ever get to is Jerusalem, great. God will hold you responsible for Jerusalem. If you can get out to Judea, go for it. If you can get to Samaria, good. And if God blesses you and go to the uttermost parts of the world, then great. The Great Commission. The main verb is make disciples. The word disciple means a pupil or a learner. God is not interested in mere decisions. He is interested in disciples. Those who are going to follow him. He's not interested in mere intellectual or public display. But a live commitment to learn of God to be like God. Not to be a God, but to be like God. There's a difference. You're not little gods. You're sons of gods. There's a difference between being a son of God and being the son of God. There's a difference between like, being like God than being God. And the church is confusing them today. Notice the method is by preaching as a herald. He says all nations. No one's excluded. The Greek word that we find through the New Testament for herald is caruso. It's rendered publish, proclaim, preach, and it's found 61 times in the New Testament. To proclaim the good news. In the ancient times, a herald was a, a figure that was of considerable importance and character. He was employed by the king or by the state to make all public proclamations. The authority was given to him. The message was given to him. He had nothing to do with it. And he was to proclaim it. And every person who heard it had only one responsibility. To obey it. We are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who hear it have one responsibility. To obey it. But they have the choice to reject it. I am not responsible for the message. The response of that message. 
I am only responsible for delivering the message. I have to make sure I do it in a loving way. I do it in a, in a way that is in the, by the power of the Spirit of God. And then God is the one that makes that person responsible for the response. If I was made responsible for people to respond to the Word of God, I would have quit the ministry long ago. I always expect a response. And whether I see one or not, there are many responses to the gospel. People either accept in their heart or they reject. I don't have to see it. God does. But God holds me responsible as the watchman who proclaims to the sinner, even as Ezekiel. And he will hold me responsible in the blood of every man if I do not proclaim. Absolutely. And for that reason, we study the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. We're going on 13 years. And if we're here 13 more, we'll still be in the Bible. We won't be bringing in psychology, sociology, anthropology, church growth, or anything else. We'll just be looking at the Bible. That's all we'll be looking at. Their authority was vested to him in the message. Just as the message of Jesus Christ to us. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, 17, how will they hear without a preacher if he's not sent? And so as he's sent, he preaches, they respond, and if they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, they shall be saved. Can you imagine the simplicity of the gospel, how God has worked it out? If I was God, I would have worked a more elaborate way to do it. I certainly wouldn't have picked imperfect men to preach the gospel. But he did. Notice Jesus commanded to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of confusion about baptism. First of all, baptism follows becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. It doesn't precede it. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts? As Philip was preaching to him, he says, you know, what hinders me to be baptized? He says, well, nothing. If you believe, he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he went and he baptized him, Acts 8, 36, 37. So if you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you repented from your sins and he cleanses you, then let's dunk you. But if you get baptized before you're saved, you're just a wet sinner. A baptism does nothing. Baptism is a public confession of what already has happened in your heart identifying with Jesus Christ in his death to sin and bury with him unto death and raised up in the newness of life, Romans 6, 3 through 4 says. It's a public confession. Now, we don't get the power of that and the influence of that because in those days, if you identified yourself as a Christian and you were baptized, you were marked and you could be killed. We get baptized and people applaud us. We lose the significance of baptism. Baptism takes away no sin, but is an antitype and a fulfillment of the answer to a good conscience, Peter tells us. An answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even as Noah gave an answer to a good conscience by entering the ark. That's the illustration in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. As Noah gave a public good conscience that he believed God and got in the ark, we give a public good conscience towards God before man that Jesus died and rose from the dead for me and I go under buried symbolic and I come up in the newness of life. It doesn't add, it doesn't take away from salvation. It just simply confirms and affirms that I am born again. Important. The reason I say this is because some say that baptism is essential for salvation. If you need to be baptized 
for your salvation to be complete, then Jesus did not finish the work of the cross when he says it is finished and he's a liar. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, In him you're complete, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then why do we do it? Because Jesus commanded it. Do you know that John 4, 2 says Jesus never baptized anybody, only his disciples did? Why didn't Jesus baptize in water? You know why? Because he didn't want to confuse the two baptisms, the baptism of water, which man does, and the baptism of God, which Jesus does. There's one among you who's not worthy, I'm not worthy to loosen his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, but I baptize you with water, John said. That's why. So if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. But don't let anybody teach you that if you're not baptized, you're not saved. For the thief on the cross, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. People say, oh, no, 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 he was in the Old Testament. No, he wasn't. Jesus says, all that prophesy, the law and the prophets prophesy till John the Baptist in Matthew eleven thirteen. The thief on the cross was a New Testament, not Old Testament. John closed the canon of the Old Testament. It would be an insult to the atoning grace of God and the work of Christ. Are you willing to say that baptism is absolutely essential for you to be in heaven? Then you're taken away from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You're adding to it. And you're contradicting Scripture. The baptismal formula is something that people get in arguments. Some churches will not accept your baptism unless they baptize you. And so we need to know what the Scriptures teach about baptism. But notice also that Jesus commanded to teach disciples to observe all things he had commanded in verse 20. It is the ministry of the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, maturity, and the malicious deception that is going on in the world. The Bible is very stern about studying the Word of God, becoming disciples, one who is learning. How long have you been in Christ? How much of the Bible have you read on your own? How much of the Bible do you know? Can you defend your faith? Can you give an answer to a man for the reason the hope that lies in you? It's important. You need to know the Word of God. The believers are described as newborn babes. They're described as young men. They're described as fathers in 1 John 2, 12-14. We're in process. We're all constantly maturing and growing. We're supposed to desire the sincere, unadulterated milk of the Word as babes and from there grow. We're to contend for the faith, Jude tells us, Jude 3, because many have crept in unawares. We're to give an answer to every man for the reason the hope that lies in us with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3.15 tells us. And so a disciple is one who learns and observes, obeys the Word of God. You get a chance to read 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, and also chapter 5, verse 3 and 5. And he says there, if we keep his commandments, we abide in him and he abides in us. And if we don't, then he does not abide in us. Don't set your confidence on an altar call or going to a church. Do you keep his commandments? If you keep his commandments, he abides in you and you in him. And if you don't abide in him, he does not abide in you. That's what the Bible teaches if you say you're in the light and you walk in darkness, you lie and you don't have the truth. And as we learn the Word of God, knows what He says, that the disciple of Christ is never alone. Jesus will be faithful to all throughout the age of grace. He wants you to be a disciple to grow. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them, John 13, 17. You know why some of you aren't happy? Because you're not doing what you know you ought to do. That's why. If you do what you know you're to do, you'll be happy. The Great Commission. 
the men Jesus chose were imperfect. The authority Jesus delegated is all sufficient. The task Jesus commanded was to teach the word. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. John 20, 21. Go. Pastor Xavier Reese closes with a poignant reminder on the importance of sharing the good news with a lost and dying world. And be sure and request your copy of today's challenging study called The Great Commission. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And this message contains what Pastor Xavier shared last time we were together, too. The title to ask for once again is The Great Commission, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 